How many of you have ever gone into a room and forgotten why you went in there? Yeah. They've done a study a few years back to figure out why that happens, and it's because of doorways. Doorways. That's right, and it's science. If you don't believe this, you just hate science. Scientists discovered that the doorway is actually what causes us to forget why we went into another room because our brains compartmentalize rooms by room and doorways are somehow in our brain what say oh yeah kids you can be dismissed now <laughs> and our and and so the door see they're going to forget what they're even going to and some of them will just wander right back here <laughs> that, would <be> me. <laughs> that would be you too so anyway so you go into another room and like our brains somehow compartmentalize it's almost like we register like open up a new software program when we go into another room and same thing and so sometimes we forget why we go into that room they actually used in order to discover this they they'd set up some experiments and they would put an object amongst many objects and on a table and then they would have it in the same room and tell somebody go pick up that hammer on that table and they would just go over and pick up the hammer because who forgets why you're going to pick up the hammer but then they would do the same distance set up the table in a different room where they had to go through a doorway and they would say go pick up that hammer and they, they forgot why they what the, the what they were supposed to pick up more than when it was in the same room and then they would do it where you just walk through the doorway come back to the room you were in where and they would forget then too so it's the doorways <laughs> so doorways cause us to forget and you know what the problem with that is what no nope. churches have doorways so when we come to church, we get all these things. We get passion for God. We, we, we get encouraged. We want to change the world. We feel inspired. Then we just go right out that doorway. And boom, we open up another program in our head. And we're done with the things of church. And we're in the world. So we really need to let the, the teaching of what we hear here and, and in any life where God inspires us, when we go through a doorway, we need to not forget that. Because there's a foundational principle to the kingdom of God that I think we all too often forget when we walk through those doorways out into the world. And that is to reach beyond God's kingdom's borders into the world around us. Not with weapons of war, but with the ultimate weapon, the weapon of love. And when we look outside into the world, into our community, and when we look all over the place, I mean, and, and I was, I said, Bryce's trial, um, I was stuck in a room for like nine hours, a tiny room with five other, four other people. There was five of us all together. And one was the police chief, George Clemens. And I asked him like, what's the biggest problem in Antwerp? And he said heroin addiction. But it's, it's, so we have tons of problems in our world. And when we go out into that world, our world desperately needs to be loved. And they desperately need to find Jesus and have them dwell in their lives. So because of that, we need to reach out to them in love. The love that God has for them. We just reflect it and show it. And whether that is through projects that we once started that have now moved on, like the kids' clothes closet, or through the annual school supply project, which we're doing right now, or maybe it's through blessing the community by just giving them hot dogs at Halloween, or maybe we'll be praying for them at the day in the park, or whatever it is, we must continually figure out new and relevant ways to show people God's love. But even more powerful than us coming up with the ultimate church program, which we kind of always want to do, but, but the more important thing, I think, 
is that each one of us needs to learn to live out that love in our normal daily lives. Where when we go to work, when we're in the community, when we're in school, wherever we find ourselves, we need to learn to live out God's love in that normal daily life. Because God's heart, the more you grow closer to him, the more this truth just permeates who we are. God's heart beats for people. So as a church, as a body, and as individuals, our hearts must beat for these same people, which will naturally and inevitably cause us to just reach out and love them in ways that they need loved. Because here's the strange truth of God. You know, maybe if I was God, I would have done it differently. You would be unfortunate if I was. But so God, though, has this strange plan that doesn't seem to make sense sometimes to us. He has entrusted his will, his plan for this world, into people like you and me. And when we look around at the world, we can see that it's out of sync. We can see that it's broken. We can see that it's full of sin. And God sees that same world and it breaks his heart. And when we pray for God to save us and save this world, God hears those prayers and he wants that same thing. And we want him to answer and we want him to fix things. God gives that answer. And that answer was Jesus, who God already provided for us working through the church which God has already established. You and I, the church, are the answer to the broken problems this world has. And God's will breaks into the here and now when we allow ourselves to be guided by the Holy Spirit and become His hands and His feet and when we move and we allow Him to work through us. So here is how God seems to have set it up. God will not change the world until we allow God to change us. If the church fails to reach out in love, then the world will fail to see God's love. If we fail to be changed, then the world will remain unchanged. God changes the world through changing you. God changes the world through changing me. And I've asked my friend Tony Campolo to be a guest speaker here today to share a practical example of what this means to us today. Some of the young people I work with and have recruited for ministry are working right now in Haiti. They've been there for many years though. I went down and visited them. They dropped me off at the Holiday Inn right there in the middle of Port-au-Prince. I was walking across the pavement to the entrance of Holiday Inn when I was intercepted by three girls. I call them girls because the oldest one was 17. The one in the middle said, Mister, for $10 you can have me all night long. I was stunned. I, I looked at the girl next to her and I said, I'm an old guy. You, would you sleep with me all night long for $10? She said yes. I looked at the third one. She tried to conceal her contempt with a smile. But it's hard to look sexy when you're 17 and you're hungry and your mother and father are dead and you've got a brother and sister to feed and there's nothing that you have that can earn money except your body I said you're in luck I've got thirty dollars I'm in room 210 you'll be up there in a half hour not before I rushed up to the room I called down to the concierge desk and I said, I want every Walt Disney video you've got in stock. How many you got? He said, eight. All eight of them. 
I called down to the restaurant. I said, I want banana splits. I'll pay you extra, but I want extra ice cream, extra whipped cream, cherries, nuts, syrup. I want, I want four of them. And the girls came, and the videos came, and the banana splits came. And we sat on the edge of the bed and watched Disney till about one o'clock in the morning. And that's when the last of them fell asleep across the bed. And as I sat there in that stuffed chair, looking at their little bodies strewn across the bed, I thought to myself, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Tomorrow they'll be back on the streets selling themselves to dirty, filthy men. And there will always be men like that who for $10 will destroy a girl. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And then something wielded up inside of me. I, I don't know whether it was the voice of God or what, but I just felt these words coming to me. But for one night, Tony, for one night, you gave them back their childhood. For one night, you let them be kids again. For one night, you let them be children once more. You didn't solve the problems of their lives. But you did what you could. You did what you could. That's all Jesus wants of you, to make a commitment today a commitment to do what you could. We talk about your hope. I want to know this. I want to know Christ's hope for you. Jesus does have hope for you. He looks at you and he has hopes. He has expectations. He has plans for you. And he's hoping you will become the kind of person he wants you to be. And the question here this morning is, are you willing to say, I give in to you. I want to actualize your hopes for me. I want to become the person you hope I will become. I will do the good you are calling me to do. That's a gut-wrenching story. But you know what strikes me most when I watch that story? I mean, besides, I mean, I'm heart-wrenched. But it's, I realize that I have a lot to grow in to become more of who God wants me to be. Because I know, like, when I was in Redford, we were out eating, me, Mike, and one of the elders, and there was a prostitute working out the store, and when I walked out of the restaurant, immediately, I just, she said something to me, but I didn't want to make eye contact, I wanted to avoid the prostitute. But Tony doesn't try to avoid the prostitute, he looks for a way to love her. And I remember on a mission trip to Merida, Mexico, which actually many of you, our church is filled with people who have been on this trip now. That's kind of weird. Um, we spent our last night in Cancun, and we f where we flew in and out of to get to Merida. And when we arrived in Cancun, a few of my friends decided to walk around town because one of them wanted to buy some counterfeit Oakleys. And we could get something to eat because we were on our own to eat that night. And while walking around, I was offered a child prostitute. And I had never encountered anything like this before. And I was startled. I said no, and I wanted to get away as soon as possible. But it really shook me. But I didn't do anything loving like Tony Campolo did. 
Here I was nearing the end of the trip where I was trying to be faithful and bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. A trip where I was trying to help the hurting and I was faced with a terrible, disgusting sin. And I did nothing but just walked away. And we Christians, we, separ we suffer from a separation problem. We want to separate ourselves from the world so much, I think, that we prohibit ourselves from transforming the world. And I can see some arguing, Tony, you shouldn't have done that with the prostitutes. What would people think if they saw you going into your room with three young girl prostitutes? And in asking that and standing up for separating ourselves from the world, we think that we're being more of who Jesus wants us to be. But the terrible news is that's not true. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with tax collectors. He ate with the worst of them. And he was even confronted about it. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus wants us, well, he wanted them to go and learn what this means. And he wants us to learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He wants us to really think about it. Jesus came for the sinners. And he didn't care what others thought of him when he took time out and he went into inappropriate situations to build relationships with them. He didn't care what the religious people of the day who were trying to be pious and holy would think of him when he spent time getting to know the sinners. He didn't care what they thought when he spent time helping them, reaching out in love. Yet, we often miss doing these things well. We often miss doing his will because we are blind to the opportunities around us to love because we've been trained to flee from sinners. We've been trained to flee from those who may be different. We've been trained, especially in Antwerp, to flee from those our town looks down upon. And in fleeing from those who Jesus loves, we flee from opportunities to love. And we turn blind eyes to the problems around us so that we don't have to do something to really help. Because if we believe, if we've been touched by God, we need to start doing something about it. James kind of communicates this core teaching. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see... That faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. 
You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is pretty blunt. And he comes out swinging, attacking people who have dead faith. He doesn't hold back. And honestly, I am both challenged by this text and truly appreciative that he didn't hold back because it calls us to action as church and as an individuals if we say we believe in Jesus. See, the church is just us, the people. So the people inside the church, that's you and me, must be living out their faith with loving actions and loving truth or the church has a dead faith. So this section challenges me to do my part, to put my faith into action, and allows me to challenge you to do the same with your faith. Put your faith in action. Because if we aren't living out our faith by loving others individually and collectively, then our church is dead. And thankfully, I don't think that's the truth. This is more of an encouragement and a reminder. James doesn't want the Bride of Christ, though, to be the walking dead. Despite it getting good ratings, that's not what he wants for us. So James doesn't hold back. James references two Old Testament people in this passage, Abraham and Rahab. James, so first we have Abraham. They seem to be totally opposite people, two worlds apart. And if we consider their stories, you will not see a lot of similarities. With Abraham, we have a person who faithfully obeyed God several times. I mean, he wasn't perfect, but he took some rather bold steps in his faith. For example, he left his homeland to follow God wherever God would lead him. Despite great lapses of trust at points in his journey, he eventually trusted God to provide in his old age, although he made many mistakes getting there, a child. And then the story that this section references is he took his son to a mountain and was willing to sacrifice him because he had reached a place after a life of struggling to a place of totally trusting God. And now just, just a side note on that story. Really that story is in the Bible and it shows us that God rejects human sacrifice. It's kind of like the end of human sacrifice to that pagan world that was sacrificing humans. That story is saying, no! I don't want human sacrifice. Anyway, but anyway, sidebar. But his faith was he was willing to sacrifice his son. And Abraham was a pillar of faith at times. It took incredibly bold steps. So over a thousand years later, he is used by James and throughout the New Testament as a great example of faith. Because Abraham did put his faith in action. Then we have Rahab, a prostitute. She was an outsider, a foreigner. She was the one that I would want to just quickly walk by and not pay attention to. And she doesn't have a long list of faithful actions like Abraham. The Bible really only lists one faithful action. Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. And if you know the story of Jericho, it's, you know, it's the city where they walked around it and eventually it fell. And, but before that happened, Joshua had sent some spies into Jericho. And Rahab was the one that protected the spies from getting caught. Civil disobedience at its finest. It's true. <laughs> Even though she was an outsider and an immoral prostitute, she displayed faith in the one true God through them sharing about who God was, and she hid those spies from the authorities. 
So in Abraham, you have a pillar of faith, and in Rahab, you have a prostitute. Two completely different people with two completely different journeys. And it seems that James is trying to show us that your background is irrelevant. It's your actions now that matter. God doesn't care if you've grown up in the promise or whether you've grown up as a prostitute. He just wants to love you and help you be who he has destined you to be. So you may come from a family that has a strong tradition of being followers of Jesus with a rich history inside the church. But God doesn't care about that. What matters is how you live out your faith now, whether you're actually trying to show his love to the world. Or you may be new to the church and what it means to follow Jesus. You may be transitioning from someone who was once terribly lost but is now incredibly found. Maybe you are the first person in your family line that is taking God seriously. Maybe you lived a wild life before you met Jesus, and maybe your background is a bit rough. The same is true for you as it was for the one who grew up in a church. What matters now is what you're going to do in response to God's love for you. How are you going to live your faith out? Whether you're more like Abraham or more like Rahab, whichever one you identify with more, your background doesn't have to keep you enslaved your actions that you choose today that will really decide whether you're going to live in God's promise for your life or not. Faith isn't real until it's proved with love. You know, we believe around here that the message of Jesus is best exhibited when we love, but words are necessary at times. But words can be empty without love. And that's what James is really saying. He says, imagine you have a brother or sister in Christ who has physical needs, and then you just ignore them. No, he says, clothe them, feed them. He says, don't just say go in peace. What we say would be, I'll pray for that. He doesn't say, just tell them, I'll pray for that. He says, actually take care of the need if you can. Because words are empty. They can be meaningless. They are dead if we don't do anything to match those words. Faith is proven by a willingness to step forward and offer concrete assistance. Faith, without deeds, is dead. And the church has gotten it wrong all too often. Christians have gotten it wrong all too often. We need to make sure we don't get it wrong all too often. Because we have traveled through this world with judgment and hate. Instead of walking through this world guided by God with his grace and love. We're called to bring the joy of the kingdom and infiltrate this world with his love. Restoring sinners, dispensing grace. The victory of Jesus becomes real to others when you live in that victory and you, live, you show it to others. You know, and if we look at our own lives... We're different because someone else showed that victory to us. We're in the right place with God because someone said, I'm going to live out Jesus' life with you. So when we leave these doorways today, let's not forget our mission. Reaching out in love. Because God is waiting and God is ready to work through you. 
at this time, I'll ask um, Tasha and Raleigh if you can be up here for prayer. And um, we'll just, I think we got another song, right, band? We'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for um, just the love that you showed us through that person who decided to live out faith around us. And we, I, I thank you for the example of Tony Campolo and I mean these incredible stories of his love that he showed. But I pray that those stories wouldn't be something we hear from Tony Campolo, but those would be stories we hear from one another. So give us crazy opportunities where we have to step out in faith and love others in a way that we may not be comfortable with, but that people need. I thank you for all the blessings you give us. Help us to be a blessing. Help us never to forget to reach out in love. And I just pray this week that specifically that you would just prompt our hearts and ways to love. Love coworkers, love classmates, love neighbors, love whoever we encounter. Just lay on our hearts what it means to live out our faith. Your son, let me pray. Amen.